Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you get your Bibles, we'll open them up to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We are going to be at the end of chapter 3 just a little bit because he starts chapter 4 off with therefore. Um, Church in Philippi, to quickly give you uh, the background that I've given you, I think about a hundred times, the background being um, that the Apostle Paul's imprisoned in Rome, the church in Philippi um, basically just kind of fell apart uh, with individuals some being afraid because of what was going on with the Roman government, uh, arresting and persecuting individuals, and Paul happened to be one of those that hit close to home. Uh, these individuals became uh, not only afraid, but angry. Um, and Have you ever been there where there's a situation that uh, certainly could be something that, that could cre- create or generate fear, but it actually translates into anger? Um, this is what was going on in the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to kind of give them some encouragement to continue to be the church, regardless of what uh, what they may be going through, that they're still uh, the church in all of its glory that Jesus Christ uh, instituted, and the church has to function. Um, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, it gives us a little bit of the background before we get into chapter 4 in context. Um, in context, this particular passage of Scripture um, it, it, it's a stand for, firm in the Lord and here's why. So he basically gives the here's why at the end of chapter 3 before he gets into the therefore in chapter 4. So in chapter 3, start with verse 17. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. How many of you guys have ever been doing something like, I mean, for me, it was big like at school. If they gave you something, we had home economics. That's something I don't think they have anymore, really, right? Do they still have home economics? Do they still have shop? Where's the shop at? Never mind. I'll ask you that later. Um, Home economics, though, a lot of times it was like knitting. Anybody here ever tried to knit? Does it look easy? Now, somebody who knits, they make it look easy, but it is not easy. And if somebody was to say, hey, come here, I'm going to teach you how to knit, it wouldn't be good enough for me to sit in front of them and show me how to knit. I need to be standing next to them or sitting next to them. And when they do what they do, I need to be doing it at the same. Well, when we have blinders on horses, we have we have ways to control um, circumstances just based on what it is that we're seeing. And uh, the Apostle Paul, when, when he says to, uh, to follow his example um, and to follow the example of those uh, who walk according to, I'm paraphrasing, who walk according to the beliefs that have been taught them, then it's a whole lot easier to stand up when you're not standing alone. And Paul has let them know in this letter, hey, I'm standing for you, now you stand for me and we'll all be standing together. Um, that's the approach that has to be taken we have to be shaken by somebody once in a while. Have you ever had anybody sit down with you and go, now listen. It's, it's the proverbial movie slap in the face when somebody's out of control. 
it's encouraging for individuals because we're all going through things and we go through things at different at different times in our life. And if the people who are up, and by up I mean they're not going through the bad things um, at that particular time, then other individuals have someone to look up at. And if when someone says something that's encouraging, they have the ability to be encouraged by that. This is the atmosphere the Apostle Paul's trying to create to the church is, look, you guys maintain yourselves. And it's all done through Christian principle. Every bit of it's done through Christian principle. Uh, by that I mean... The Bible's clear we're supposed to treat everybody else better than ourselves. The Bible's clear we're supposed to put other people first, that we should always that we should never be uh, desiring the first place. So there should always be individuals who need care, and then there should always be people who are available and capable of caring for those individuals. So the Apostle Paul's approaching the church in Philippi. It's easy to be frustrated. It's easy to get frustrated. Um, frustration solves nothing. Um, it's easy to get scatterbrained. Being scatterbrained solves nothing. Uh, either we are individuals who have a almost symbiotic relationship, meaning when we're in need of something, we have an outside source to fulfill what it is that we're in need of. Um, in Christianity, that's huge because we'll always have different people that are going through different things. Some things more difficult than others. And I've had conversations with people who one person's problem may be huge, another person's problem may be little. The common ground between the two of them is their problems. We don't know how those problems are going to affect people. Many times, we don't even know how um, an individual's feeling. There are people that have the ability to cover up pretty well, right? But see, even people who are covering it up, if they're hurting or dealing with something, even those people are encouraged when the encouragers or the people that are up are being what they're supposed to be. So, I mean, how much more encouragement could you get than, you know, the church is kind of going crazy in Philippi, the Apostle Paul writes a letter, and everything that he says to them is, look, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and you need to be doing what it is that you need to be doing. And here's the way you can be, look at all, look, you can be looking at all of these things. It gives you the ability to be able to get through those difficulties, those challenges, and those struggles. Um, with the understanding, because if we get to it, and we will, um, who doesn't have room for improvement? We all do. So, I mean, every day we should get a little bit better about not only what we say, but how we say it. Every day we should get a little bit better at being sensitive toward, towards individuals. Every day we should be getting a little bit better at um, not staying in the, in the hole as long as we stay in the hole. Uh, because every, every time that we learn something, every time that we're assured of a promise, every time that we see ourselves going through any kind of a struggle or a challenge in life, the word of God itself has the ability to pull us out of that hole. The apostle Paul wants the church to understand that things like Paul being imprisoned are going to happen and it could happen to them too. But if we all have the ability to track where we're at, we have the ability to track whether we are moving forward, standing still, or sliding backwards. Nobody has a better way to ability to determine that than each individual themselves. Verse 18 says, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So 
most of our problems that we have are generated by people. And this goes right back to, I've said this many times, we should never expect the world to act like Christians. We should be able to recognize when they're not acting like Christians. We should know when to be cautious, whether to or not to get involved with something when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the things that the world's involved with. Um, as a pastor, I go into those dark places quite often, but I certainly don't stay there. And when I leave, I make sure my brain and my heart are with me. Because the world is cruel. We as Christians are living difficult, a difficult life under the circumstances of a fallen human being and someone who desires to see what God's trying to accomplish, actually accomplish in the world that we live in. Verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also, which, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Now we've been cliche at like funerals and things like that, but funerals is one of those things that it's difficult for the people that are left behind. Now, when we, when we see what the apostle Paul's saying in these last couple of verses in chapter three, uh, look at it again for our citizenship is in heaven. We don't live here. This is not home. Um, the context through which we as individuals live our lives, we tend to either make here home or we understand and agree that there is home. So generally, decent people take care of their home. Am I right? Uh, they make sure they, they try to make sure the grass is cut, that the siding's clean, the decks are all stained. They do the best they can to take care of those things. But there are many individuals, and there's please don't say, say preacher said you shouldn't be taking care of your home. Of course you should. Your home on earth is your home on earth, and it should be taken care of. But is it really home? In the context of the home, do we really realize that one day we're gonna we're gonna shed all of this, and everything that we have is gonna be left behind, either for someone else to enjoy. Um, or uh, whatever the circumstances may be. We don't know really what the circumstances, but, I mean, who cares? Once you're gone, do you care? I don't care what's wrong. I don't care what happens to my house when I'm gone. Hopefully it'll stay in the family, and hopefully they will be. <clears throat> but the fact is, if we understand that this isn't home, then this isn't where we're going to invest. Everybody's an investor. The question is, what are we investing in? When we, invest, when we invest in heaven being home, then that in and of itself causes us to invest in family, to invest in. But all of these things are through the gospel. Because if I get in my brain that this is not home, this is a temporary place, and I am going home. Now, when I go home, it's a permanent place. Now I start having to ask myself the question, who's going to be there with me? Friends, family, all of this encourages people to to proclaim the gospel in their family, to proclaim their gospel in the world that they live in, to try to take as many of them people with us as we can. But the encouragement is that regardless of what we're going through at this particular point in time or any point in time in our, in our lives, regardless of what we're going through, this is the Jesus is still on his throne verses. These are the verses that tell us that the promise 
has not only been made, but it's been kept in many, many, many people's lives. And God's not revoking that promise. So when we, when we, look, at the, when we look at the promise, the promise is that Jesus is getting us to heaven. There should be all kinds of encouragement in that. One of the biggest problems with Christianity right now is people are way too focused on self-preservation. Self-preservation mode. They don't share the gospel. Why? Because they're afraid that they may get talked down to or even something bad happened to them. People don't step out and, and be faithful when the Lord calls individuals to do something. And every bit of it's fear. And fear is fear. Fear is, it's fear doesn't matter what the circumstance surrounding it is. In 21, he said again, who will transform the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the extension of the power, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. If he has the power to subject all things to himself, then what is there that he doesn't have power over? His power over everything. So what happens to fear when you actually are convinced that God has power over everything? And I've said it many times, folks. We, if we as individuals who trust in Jesus Christ truly trust Jesus Christ and truly trust God the Father and truly trust the Holy Spirit and his leadership, what is there to fear? nothing now how many of us 100 percent, purely absolutely trust the lord in all circumstances none of us do which is where the next chapter comes into play and the encouragement for individuals regardless of regardless of where we stand regardless of how far behind we are regardless of We have to continue to have the mentality to get there. Haven't picked on myself for a while. My office still ain't done. Some border and stuff that needs to be done, and I pretty much had it down to just the border and stuff around the office for a long time. And I'm not saying this because I'm accepting complacency with my office but I am saying that my office is going to stay exactly the way that it is until I decide that it's not as people we're going to stay exactly who we are until we decide that we're not and we shouldn't be people who beat ourselves up over where we come from we shouldn't beat ourselves up over the circumstances in life that have created a lack of faith we shouldn't look down on people who are in that circumstance because those individuals are learning just as much as we are. But the fact is, Jesus is on his throne, and the more that we believe that and the more that we reaffirm that in our hearts, the more that it is well. That song, if you get a chance to read that song, don't sing it, read it. It is well with my soul. That's, that's exactly what that song is all about. Chapter 4 says in verse 1, There's our therefore, my beloved brethren, 
whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. So stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stand. In other words, he's saying, as a result of what I just said at the end of chapter 3, stand firm in the Lord. We have every reason in the world to be able to stand firm. How many of you guys ever, I don't even know what they call it, if they call it bull roulette. I've heard it called several different things. Wayne and Missy's probably seen them at some of the horse shows and stuff that they do, but they put the white chalk lines on the ground, and then guys have to stand in those chalk lines and let a bull go in the pen. The last one that stays in the circle wins. I mean, this bull's just knocking the snot out of people because they're because they're standing. Well, I mean, the guy next to you gets thrown 10 or 15 feet in the air. What's What are you going to do? I mean, probably me. I'm out. I, I can't even sit with my leg up out there without hurting my knee. I certainly don't need to be facing off with any bulls. But do you know who wins? The bull. Unless there is an individual who is dedicated enough to what it is that they're doing that they stand there and don't move because the people next to them, even though the people next to them did. Because in that little scenario, who's the bull? It's every problem and trouble in your life that you've ever experienced. Inside that little circle, you're standing in your faith. And how many people are there that don't bail on their faith occasionally? Because you're pretty sure that something that's coming is going to hurt. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. Um... Is it easy to do? Anybody here ever play chicken? I played chicken, but I was a chicken. So I always knew I'd be okay. Because I'm not going head on with no car. How many of you wake up in the morning real with a realization that the people we face, the circumstances that we live through, the difficulties that happen... Those things have such power over people that it will completely confuse their entire life about their faith and circumstances that are going on around them. We don't have to stay there. You need to put your toe in the water. The Lord don't mind if you put your toe in the water. But it takes a whole lot of faith to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you even in the midst of someone passing away. I trust you even in the midst of of uh, the very reality of financial situations, the very reality of health situations. It, it takes a lot for a person to say, I mean, the bumper sticker thing, Jesus is my co-pilot. And then somebody came out with another one shortly after that that said that Jesus, if Jesus is your co-pilot, switch seats. Because I think in too many cases, Jesus is our co-pilot. Is Jesus supposed to be our co-pilot? He should be flying the plane. Right? We should be individuals who are following his lead, not forcing him to be someone who's following our lead. Because I guarantee you, we go places that he won't. By that I mean places that bring um, selfish, fallen pleasure. He won't go. He allows us to make those choices. But the command from Paul to stand firm in the Lord... 
um, is, is a reality and is something that's very possible if we're individuals who truly believe versus uh, 20 and 21. Verse 2 says, I urge Yodia and I urge whatever the name is to live in harmony in the Lord. Are, are fights more possible when everybody's scatterbrained? Let me simplify it. You've had a terrible day. Nothing's gone right. You've been frustrated. You are on your last nerve. You walk in the house. Your wife has had the worst day. Frustrated on her last nerve. What's the chances there's going to be an argument that night? Certainly increases your chances of having an argument, right? When we don't have the ability to control ourselves, self-control, I should say, through the relationship they have, that we have with God, we have the capabilities of actually stirring up more trouble for someone else. Have you ever done something to somebody they didn't deserve, but it was because you were in a mood? All of us have. At some point or another, all of us have. These two individuals, Paul's saying, live in harmony. Well, what's harmony? You ever hear, uh, you ever hear singers harmonize? You get a soprano and an alto and a tenor and a bass, and they're singing the same song, but all of them are singing different chords. You are not a uh, duplication of me. Matter of fact, I haven't done this in a while, so this is going to be fun. You ready? If there's somebody to your left, I want you to look at them. Just say, we're different. Then you can look the other way and say, hey, we're different. You know what? Everybody in this place... I mean, we may find some commonalities, but we don't love the same things. We don't enjoy the same things. We don't dislike the same things. We don't do anything, really, that is a matchmake for anyone. We're different. Being different, should that make us not get along? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be something that makes us not get along. It should be something that we actually have the ability to Realize that we are different individuals, and when different individuals are brought to the are brought to the forefront, those different individuals have strengths and weaknesses. In many cases, you guys have strengths that are my weaknesses, and I have strengths that may be your weaknesses. That means that we work together together well as a family, as a team. So, differences isn't something to to argue about. The differences of opinion, you know, preachers are supposed to stay away from politics. Heard that my whole life. Stay away from politics. Do not touch politics. Why? Well, because some people who are believers are Democrats and some people who are believers are Republicans. Bill Kerp used to be contentious just because he would tell people if they were Democrats, they were going to hell. Not the kind of things you want to say in a church setting. Because the fact is, differences, they're differences. And God created us unique. He created us to be different. He could have made a carbon copy of everybody and everything would have been just fine, right? But in most relationships, struggles and challenges that I've done counseling for, 
the number one problem is the woman always expects the man to act like a woman, and the man always expects the woman to act like a man. The differences are to be celebrated, not argued about. Because somebody looks at something differently doesn't mean that they're wrong. I mean, there are some topics that you could say, yeah, they're wrong. But just because they have an opinion on something doesn't mean their opinion's wrong. No more than it means that our opinion's right. Who died and gave me the authority to be able to say I have the final say on those things. We have the ability as a church to continue to function if we keep our heads screwed on straight. And we realize that God has given gifts to people that differ. Verse 3 says, Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Very rare to see a man, especially a Jewish man, write that um, ask that help be given to the women who have furthered the gospel. Very rare. There's a hidden nugget in that particular verse. And the nugget is this. Culture does not determine right and wrong. Um, Women working in ministry was something that the Jews did culturally. As I've always said, I'm not someone who sticks to church doctrine. I'm someone who sticks to biblical doctrine. I believe wholeheartedly that when it comes to like pastoral and deacon ministry, that those are those are offices to be held by men. <clears throat> God created men and wired them a particular way so that those roles were the roles that they would fit in. Uh, but I've told you all about Highland in the past. When I first came here, I was shocked when I met with uh, with the pulpit committee. There was not one woman on the pulpit committee, not one, and I was shocked by that because I thought there is no woman in this church who's being represented by the questions that are being asked. Should have been a woman in there who would have thought to ask some questions the men might not have thought to ask. Um, problems with individuals saying that women shouldn't teach Sunday school classes. What kind of trouble would the church have been in over the last 50 years if women hadn't taught Sunday school classes? Um, women giving testimonials. A woman shouldn't even be standing behind the pulpit. These are things I heard here from people 20 years ago. Woman shouldn't be standing in the pulpit. Well, it's doctrinal that a woman shouldn't stand up and preach. But if a woman's standing up and giving a testimony, giving her personal testimony, or if she's teaching other women, there, there's not any issues with that. Doctrine means everything. If we as a church are going to understand that we're in this together, then we have to be able to accept and appreciate the fact that this is not a man's world when it comes to church. The the work that the women do is extremely important. When I first came here, and, and I kind of, the first four months as the interim, um, I kind of stayed out of things and just showed up and preached and helped where they asked me to. And um, after 10 months, they asked me to be their pastor here, and the first thing I said to him was, do you want me to be your pastor? I need a nursery. And we struggled for a while actually getting a nursery. I know how difficult it has to be, especially for individuals who make that kind of their thing, to not be in 
church service. To actually give up the time for them to be fed to go over and watch babies. But how important is that ministry? There are young people who will not come if they have to hold their kids. There are some people who prefer to keep their kids. That's fine with me. But if you just looked at Highland's ministry over the last 20 years and removed the input from every woman, how much of a negative impact would that have been? Incalculable. Incalculable. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Now, these guys have had family members who have been persecuted, family members who have been killed by Rome, family members who, and even in some cases, spouses and kids. And I mean, somebody looking on the, from the outside in would say, these people have something to be scared of. They have something to worry about. But again, going back to those last two verses in chapter 3, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Well, wait a minute. You mean I'm supposed to rejoice when my dad died? Yep. Am I supposed to rejoice even when we find ourselves in a circumstance where 18 people in the church catch COVID? You're not sure some of them are going to make it and some of them don't? Rejoice. That word always means a lot. We don't rejoice in the passing of some of them, but there's plenty to rejoice in when it comes to the fulfillment of the promise in an individual's life. There's plenty to rejoice. And if we're not rejoicing, we're not looking at it from the correct perspective. Verse 5 says, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. I'm going to have to close here in a second, so I'll say this. The church in the United States has fallen into the habit of living life at the level of mediocrity. Um, Getting to a particular point and then saying, you know, I've reached a pinnacle, I'm just going to sit here and rest for a while. It's not the way that this is supposed to be done. If, if, if we have in focus everything that the Lord has promised us, and we live our life carrying out all of our responsibilities with life, but in faith in Christ then we should be people who are always desiring to look to shoot just a little bit higher. Have anything in your life that you've dealt with but not mastered? But room for improvement. I mean, and everybody has that room for improvement. But we have to be people who are thinking of excellence more than we're thinking of the bad things. We have to be looking at the positives instead of looking so much on the negatives. Looking at the positives gives us the ability to be encouraged regardless of the circumstance. If we're looking at the negatives, we have every reason in the world to be people who are just bummed out all the time. Verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, for prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, and let your requests be made known to God. To be anxious for nothing. Anxiety is real. I'm sympathetic to people with anxiety. Uh, I, I know that reasonability is not something that stops it. But I know that every one of us have anxious moments in our lives. We all get scatterbrained, and anxiety is something that's a reality to us. 
the solution to anxiety, according to this, is prayer. I got news for you, and this is a theological nugget that I'm going to throw out at you, okay? We pray all the time as Christians, right? And it's a good thing we do, because if we didn't, there's no way God would know what we needed. If you didn't detect any sarcasm in that, you missed it. Prayer is more for us than it is for God. Prayer keeps us centered. Prayer keeps us focused. If if we wake up in the morning, and, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but try this sometime. Try living your life, waking up in the morning and not saying a prayer. And some people may live their life that way. I'm not sure what people's habits are. But try to get up one day. Don't pray. Try to press it out of your brain. Get on with your day and be busy. Then try praying before you get on with your day. The difference is, when we pray, it brings focus. When we pray, it also encourages the hearer. When we pray, it's supposed to be something within our relationship with Christ that brings about the strength and encouragement we need to be able to get through. So if we're individuals who, I mean, it's hard sometimes to say, God, I trust you. I mean, you find yourself in some of those circumstances. It's hard to say, Lord, I trust you. The part of the prayer that is between us and God is the thank you part. It's also a reminder and encouragement for us. But I've said a bunch of times from up here, when we pray, what are we typically praying for? What's our prayer lives the strongest? It's when we find ourselves in trouble. What do you think about people who are constantly just calling you to ask for something? That's all they ever want. They just want something. I mean, if somebody did this, if somebody did that, I mean, I've, I've been a Christian for 33, 34 years. If, if somebody called you and the only thing they ever did was asked you for something for 34 years straight, how would you look at that person? Honestly. But that explains the relationship that a lot of people have with God when they bow their head and pray to him. Lord, I'm in trouble. need your help. Things are going good. The conversations typically stop. But if we're individuals who are thankful and we're, we're thanking God in prayer all of the time. Betty passed away. I can give you two sides of that. Did it, did it during the funeral service. Right? The fact is, I'm glad Betty's there. Right? I can be sad that she's gone, but I can also be very glad that she's there. Missy, same thing. I've noticed more lately, and in closing, I've noticed more lately just how
unhappy Christians in this world really are. And I'm not talking about from Highland. I'm talking about Christians I know from everywhere. Just how unhappy they are. They walk around defeated. They walk around afraid of everything. They walk around thinking they're going to find solutions to everything to prevent them from facing troubles. And troubles are going to come. The fact of the matter is, troubles are going to come. There's no avoiding them. But we get the ability to look at them from one of two perspectives. We can all cry forever because Betty's not here. Or we can rejoice in the Lord because she's there. We stopped a long time ago being people who, again, if God brought me to it, he'll bring me through it. I'm not a believer in that philosophy. If God brought me to it, I need to stop and ask why. Are you trying to teach me something? Are you trying to teach somebody else something? Are you trying to use me for something in the midst of this difficulty? We can even look at we can look at our finances as being problems, or we can look at our finances as an opportunity to to uh, to have a a learning opportunity. I I know through mine and Diana's life, money was tight when we were younger, really tight. I mean, it was amazing. People would say. I mean, I think I was making $18,000 a year. We owned a home, and uh, it was tight. But what it taught us was to be responsible for what we're responsible for and to trust in the Lord for the rest. We would have never learned those lessons if things hadn't been that hard. Relationships, it's the same way. Everything that we do, the Lord touches. We can look at it from one perspective. We can look at it from the other. This church, man, 18 people in this church got sick with COVID. Were there, was there a cost to that? Yes, there was. But now almost everybody in the church is either vaccinated or naturally immune. Which side would you rather dwell on? Which side that makes it easier to go to church on Sunday? <laughs> Too many times our lives do get shifted just a little bit off center. Happens to all of us. We can't dwell on our mistakes. Don't let those things weigh you down forever because people do that. There are mistakes people have made they've, they've felt guilty about and held over their own heads for their entire lives. God does not want that. It's not beneficial at all. Poses no good purpose at all. But we have to be people who recognize that regardless of how good of a preacher you are, regardless of how good of a Sunday school teacher you are, regardless of how good of a counselor you are, regardless of how good we are at anything in Christian life, there is always room for improvement. And we should be people who are always desiring to get ourselves in the place where we see things from God's perspective. And God's perspective means everything. The Apostle Paul called them my joy and my crown. There is nothing more, more exciting than to see someone who's a Christian struggle and come out on the faithful side of things. My crown, he's basically saying that all of the effort that he put in at that church in Philippi was not in vain. That it was a work of service that all of us are included in that's intended to ultimately bring glory to God. My desire is for your lives to do nothing but bring glory to God. So are you a little off-center today? Only you can answer that question. I'm asking you to do what is necessary. 
your relationship with Christ during this time with him to get yourself back center. Here today, you never placed your trust in Christ, never followed through in believer's, believer's baptism. Uh, talk to me. We can uh, make that happen. Jesus made it happen for you on the one side, and I can make it happen for you on the other. Um, so talk to me. Believer, spend this time with Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.